everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's writing bench is John Schmidt and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 176. Welcome back, Kate Elliott. Yay! <laughs> Thank you for having me back. And we just had a little discussion before we started uh, about how long it had been. I thought it was like last year, but it turns out it was three years ago. Time has no meaning. You were, I believe it was episode 30, no, 49. 49. Because I remember titling it Kate Elliott Totally Rules, because you do. And we were talking about your pre-release of The Unconquerable Sun. Wait, we have to title this one, Kate Elliott Totally Rules the Universe. That's true in honor of the second book. That's fair. Well, I don't want to do the Furious Kate Elliott. Do you want to be the Furious Kate Elliott? No, I don't want to be the Furious <laughs> Kate Elliott. So Kate Elliott totally rules the universe it is. Oh, and there was, there. I don't know if you heard that, but Finn barked. And Yay! Finn is rejoicing. Yay. The incomparable Finn. <laughs> well, actually, he's looking out the sliding glass door, too, because he suspects something is going on somewhere that he could be busybody about. Oh, well, as, you know, one should be. Well, he's that dog. Well, he's that Twitter dog. I have seen the pictures. Yeah. The dude is handsome. Mm. <laughs> I hate to say it, but yeah. Well, that's fair. There need to be more pets in your books. But speaking of your books, we were cheering you pre-announced The Unconquerable Sun. You have released just a couple, a couple, what month is it? A few months ago, you released Furious 7. And I got to say, in my, in my head, I'm enjoyed you know the gender swapped alexander the great in space i read unconquerable sun i ran right out and grabbed furious heaven and i read it and you've pulled a katie murphy on me it's not a duology after all and i don't know why in my head i thought it would be <laughs> especially for a kate elliott book Jeannie. Right? it's it's a, a, even her one-shot ya novel was a trilogy okay sorry kate Sorry. But that wasn't a one that was always intended to be a trilogy. So so um The Sun Chronicles was sold as a trilogy. It was always ah, okay. I actually wanted to sell it as five books, but they said they and, and that's one reason that book two is so long. <laughs> well, I, I it, it might have been a little shorter if it had been five books, but um they didn't want five books, fair enough. The advantage so, of reading everything on my phone anymore is that I, I no longer have weight classes as I pick books up. I mean yeah, it, that's, it, that's an interesting question. I'm gonna ask it. Uh Kate, do you see a difference in your contracts since uh ebook readers and now of course audiobooks are a big thing and the since you're not paying for all the dead trees, are the sizes less constrained? No, they, they nobody wants, I, I'll, I'll just be blunt. You know, I'm not selling at the level remotely at the level of a, let's say a Brandon Sanderson, right? And nobody wants a 300,000 word novel from me. Furious Heaven is 300,000 words. I think it's paced pretty fast. I think it moves fast. It moves. I got through that in a day and a half. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, like I kept the opening chapters short and there's some longer chapters later, but in general, I tried to, I used every trick I could to keep it moving. Um, but you know, when you do print, of course, when you do print, um, a print book, you got to pay for the paper. And when you record the audio book, you have to pay the voice actor for their time. And I hope voice actors are paid by the hour, not by the, 
not by the job. Me too. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, and, and you know, even when you do the eBooks, it's true with eBooks that it's a little different because you still have to format everything, but it's kind of not beyond having to copy edit it and proof it. You're not, there's not a lot of extra money going in the difference between a, a 100 Sorry, he's. No, no. Is it all right? Okay, a 100, you know, kilobyte and a 100 megabyte. In terms of an ebook, there's really not that much difference, you know, in in. But you just pointed out that you've got copy editors and um, formatters and artists. The artist is going to be the same because the cover's the cover. The cover's the cover. Yeah. The amount of time your copy editor takes and um, is going to be a thousand times better, bigger kilobyte to megabyte. Well, sometimes exactly. it's more than just one. I mean, I had the good, the good fortune and excellent timing to be on Laura Ann Gilman's list of, hey, I'm re-releasing something. Can somebody look at it? Because I think there were typos and those are my favorite thing. I can be that little pedantic girl. So. Yeah. But so what I want to say is there's, I think with all the demands on our attention and all the stress and all the burnout of the pandemic and every and the political situation all around the world i if i see anything i see a trend not that 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 some readers want to read something that they can get through more quickly because a big story that's got a lot of moving parts takes a lot of mental energy exactly. and a shorter story you can get through and you can put it down and you'll be you're done and then you can move on so i don't think right now it's not that it's not that people aren't going to write long books. And it's not that people aren't going to read long books. I don't think the long, long book is going to go away. But I think right now, the trend is that people want kind of shorter, snappier reads. And will that change again? Usually things do. When will that change? I don't know. So I, I mean, certainly the well, the biggest difference I've found with audiobooks is that now, slowly but surely, my backlist is getting into audiobook. And back when audiobooks were on an actual, were physical, they were on DVDs or CDs, right? I, I couldn't get, you had to be a bestseller to get an audiobook deal because the cost of that physical package was enough that they were only going to record it if they knew they could sell a certain amount. But now it's all MP3s. So the, for example, the Crown of Stars series, the sixth book of the Crown of Stars series just yeah. came out last week, the same week as Furious Heaven came out in the US last week and it came out in, um, Brit in the UK, uh, last month. But, um, but I thought Crown of Stars was never going to get an audiobook version because it was too long and, too, you know, whatever. It was too old, but now. The, the seventh book is going to come out in September. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's great, right? For, for one thing, the voice actor is fantastic. Uh, and, but, but now people who want to listen to audiobooks have access to it and it brings in a new readership who might not want to read the ebook or read the print book. It's a really good point. And also that's, that's an, it, one of the interesting things that I've seen in the last year is the sudden, well, not sudden, the acceptance of ingesting media through an audiobook has shifted. It used to be people were a little embarrassed to say, well, I didn't read it, I just listened to it. And now it's a perfectly natural thing, and I applaud that. Yeah, and me I'm, too. I, that 
piece of news. I'm always looking for the interesting thing, hearing that you're back. Uh, I want to say back stock and that's wrong, but your earlier words. Backlist. Early- backlist is the, is the standard term. Thank you. That's the term I was looking in your backlist. Your excellent writing that hasn't been as recently published is getting an audiobook treatment because all of your writing is is worthy of bardic sagas. No, it is. Thank you, John. I, and actually, I just made because I just made a deal for the four Geron books and the Crossroads trilogy. Oh my God! Yay! So those are now it'll with the same people who did Crown of Stars, which means and. Which means that the Crown of Stars books, the audiobooks have done well enough. And, and believe me, they're not, we're not talking about bestsellerdom here, but they've done well enough that they figure, hey, there's an audience for the rest of this person's, um, for, for their backlist. So once they're done, I think there will, I will only have four books that aren't in audio. And I mean, seriously, 10 years ago, I thought nothing was going to come out in audio. So. It's been great for it's been great to have that. And it, because it really does, it introduces a new set of it's just another gateway that you can enter. Yeah, it's another way of finding out. And I don't know, but I actually think the timing of this is good for what you have going on, not just because I'm a great big old Alexander, the great fan and the the Colin Farrell movie was to me, disappointing. I mean, not that I don't like looking at Colin Farrell and, you know, bare legs and all that, and I do, but, and Angelina Jolie too. But in a lot of ways, I missed all of the fun things. Like I was the big old fan of Philip of Macedonia. Let's talk about how awesome he was. And your equivalent of writing this was you had the mighty, I, and is, do I say it Irene? Because in my head, she was Irene. I, I say Irene, but uh, I think I think it's technically correct that it's Irene, but okay. I say Irene for some reason. That's how it is, and I want to I want to mention that because Philip is amazing, and and obviously nothing Alexander couldn't have done what he did if his father hadn't built that army. And what amazes me about Philip is he literally Macedon was on its last legs. Yeah. His two older brothers had both been killed in battle. He was launched. He was like in his early twenties and, and his, you know, his second brother gets killed. The army was decimated. You know, it was just like, okay, Athens was like, all right, we're going to come in. We're going to, you know, like settle a colony here and we'll be overlords and whatever. And Philip just by whatever. But he was, he was also a gentleman in a weird kind of way. He was a ruthless bastard because anybody who's in charge is, but that he did study the philosophy, drama, poetry, and all of the arts. And he insisted that his son study it as well. And that he found all of this made you a better rounded person to go, you know, take over the hyper-masculine society surrounded by enemies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, which one, the first, Alexander the first, who's about, oh, I'm bad. I'm bad at dates. He's maybe a hundred years earlier than them. He yeah. was, I think it was him. He was another one who, who was very clear about bringing in, you know, people from, from Greece, you know, because yeah. he wanted Macedon to not be those, you know, the, the country, the hunt, country cousins, the Hicks, right? He yeah. wanted them to also be treated as if they understood that poetry and, Play. Yeah, we want to be more like Thessaloniki. I get that. But, but yeah, your view of the world building of this for me was kind of fascinating. For instance, it, it was things like it wasn't just that everybody was 
and everybody wasn't Mandarin. You had Korean, you had some Indonesian, I think. And this is just my question. It looked like you took entire chunks of Southeast Asia and moved them into space and the great diaspora out in different directions. Well, it is not just Southeast and East Asia. Um, that, that, there was the, American the, songs. I heard them. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is that, and I, I don't know if I said this at the last time, but if I did, you'll just get to hear it again. Um, <laughs> that I had to make a decision early on whether I was going to do a, what I'll call the Star Wars, I'm going to take this story and translate it into an essentially a fantasy world with a space opera setting um, where I have to, I make up all the names, I make up all the everything, all the references and whatever, or whether I was going to use the, I want to, how do I say this? What, what, what I decided I wanted to do, because everything we know about Alexander comes down to us mostly through, um, archaeological, um, archaeological sites and mostly to textual things, textual references to him. And the, the, everybody who wrote about the, the memoirs and the histories that were written at the time by the people who lived through it and who went on the campaign, like even Ptolemy's memoirs, for example, they've, that they had that, like the Romans had them all, but they've gotten, they're lost to us. So we see them as fragments. Our history, what we know about Alexander is what the Roman historians tell us. And then, and then, of course, all the legendary stories that rose up, and you see them in the Shahnama in Persia, written in, well, written down um, in 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 one thousand um, common era. It mm-hmm. has has a whole section of with Alexander stories in it. And mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages, there's a whole in medieval Europe. King Arthur and the Nibelungenlied weren't the most weren't the widest spread stories that that people knew about and read about legendary, fabulous stories. It was the what's called the Alexander Romance, which was these different selections of these stories about Alexander, you know, how Alexander went up in a balloon and how Alexander went down in a bathysphere and how Alexander found the plant that confers immortality, but accidentally dropped it and, you know, someone else ate it. And all these, you know, all these stories, um, some, a couple of which I'd use in, in book two. Um, the, uh, it, these, that was all over the Middle Ages. It was the most widely copied set of stories in the Middle Ages in middle, medieval Europe. But of course, it's at some point it dropped out of favor. And so you get to the modern era and then we only have the Roman historians. So, but, but that whole thing, I thought this is in, I wanted to talk about how the past comes to us through fragments. It's like pot shirts, right? And that's, that's the whole thematic basis of the world building that 3000 years ago or how three or 3500 years ago, these people fled the, you know, earth, which they don't even know the name. The people of, of the story don't know the name Earth. They, they call it the Celestial Empire. That's the only name they have for it. I'm never going to name it as Earth because they've never heard that name. And, and it was flood, which means it was the, who was on, who were on those ships? So it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, American 
milk from. I, I was going to say, I really you know, love that. Is you you did the what if, in the what if the people that escaped to space weren't the Westerners, and no, that was it, actually it's it's one better than that. You you didn't. It's not. It it is a what if, but it's also a what was. What what does history? When you look back along the track, what does it look like? What do we see? And then how does yeah. that become? That's what you've done. And that is freaking genius. I realize for you, it's like, oh, yeah, that's just how I do things. But in, in a weird sort of way, I mean, I, I, I pondered different things as I was reading them. And sometimes I'd ask my I, I talked to you a lot, just so you know, and I'm like, Kate, why is everybody vegan? And then as I thought about it, oh, that's a 15-year slog. I'm like, you're vegan because on a ship, you don't necessarily have animals and animal husbandry, but you can grow plants and bats. And okay, I get it. <laughs> so well, and, and then, and we don't know, we know that the archives broke and that the archives, that there was once presumably a, a very full set of archives and probably a full set of, let's say, mammal you know, whatever, what, what would you have DNA or, or embryos or whatever. But a lot of stuff got broken, right, and shattered. And so somehow that all got lost, which is why you have knights riding on dinosaurs. That's what they think happened back in the celestial empire. Because yes. why wouldn't knights ride on dinosaurs? I mean, I've always wanted they? a triceratops. I mean, just there you have the shield already built in your legs are safe. Yeah. But, but I wanted to say something about, about it. It's, it's not that no, what we would say Westerners got there because there are lots of Western influences as well. I wouldn't have tried to leave that out because I couldn't have done it. Right. Right. But there is a little moment in after the Trinity coalition. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to do this without. There's, no, there's, spoilers. A, I mean, I'm trying to hear yeah. late in the book when they're oh, anyway, where those, young people who were it's a single chapter one of the one of the, what i call the interlude chapters where yes. the point of view is someone you see you you follow their point of view once you might see them another time but you follow their point of view once to get a glimpse into some of the other things that are going on right the things that the people at the center of events aren't going to see or aren't going to find interesting and i want to show just this how widely how widely these like kind of like like why would you do these conquests right the just the ripples and the storm and the tumult and the disruption is so severe but anyway there's a scene where these young people who have been removed from uh, a sex worker establishment but perhaps not removed from sex work um and there's one who wants to go back to her home system yeah. And they're talking about the languages people speak. And she says she knows she comes from a place called Belt of Jewels, which is. And that was like the 10 language girl. Yeah, I spoke 10 languages. Was that her? Well, it's her friend who wants to go back. OK, but yeah. And but she learned her and her friend's language is called Jewel Sprock. <laughs> and that's the only and her friend has blue eyes and pale hair and that's the only reference to that and you're like huh you know that was like my little drop is like oh okay well, what was up with you know who who settled that area <laughs> i had a thought in some of this because one of the big and this is where we always argue about what somebody's themes were and luckily you're still alive for me to argue with you but these are magnificent social commentaries in a lot of ways because 
you're not just doing the, there's class distinction, there's a society that's an oligarchy versus this one is clear cut fascism versus this one is corporatism and versus, you know, is it manifest destiny versus no, honestly, it's kind of colonialism. And you have, you have a very interesting way of saying that everybody takes a moment, you tell in the interludes and in some of those other stories that, you know, for the little guy, for the peasant, the worker, it's it's not perfect for anybody in any of these big, we're going to go conquer somebody groups. And I liked that. I thought that was a really good and important thing to say. Yeah, it's, it's easy. Uh, thank you, first of all. And I'm glad you noticed that. It's easy to to get caught up in this idea that, oh, we're going to write about, this is an older school way of approaching it, would be that old Alexander as the world uniter. He was an inspired leader and through his, and it's true that because he conquered the, the Persian empire and created that Hellenistic, that Hellenistic web, right? That lots of things happened that wouldn't have happened if, if it had remained divided up. And if you right. hadn't had these Macedonians and Greek influence spreading from, you know, from Egypt to, to all the way to like the, you know, the Gandhara, where you have the famous Buddhist, Buddhist statues that clearly are influenced by, um, Greek statuary. Right. It, it's just, it's, and, and where, and oh my God, it's just, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. Like there was Seleucus had, um, an envoy in Chandragupta's court, placed in Chandragupta's court. I mean, so that so much was going on. And arguably that wouldn't have happened without Alexander. But I think it's a that's kind of an old-fashioned way of looking at, you know, the glorious conqueror, right? The glorious conqueror, because he was right thinking and good and believed in justice and peace that and order, that he he brought good to the world. And then there's the people who were like, Alexander was just a sociopath and he was crazy. But I don't know. I think those are both. Well, there's, there's an argument to be made that if the truth is somewhere in the middle of those two, for instance, even Rome realized that for Rome to succeed, Rome always needed to be expanding. Because yeah. once you were conquered, you became part of Rome. And, you know, they built, they built a lot of roads. Let's face it, they're really, really good roads. There's the Mac Adams style is kind of early done by Rome. And, but they went out there and they did this and they did the conquering and it still doesn't make it easy for the guy in the field. Well, and they, they killed a darn lot of people. They killed a lot of Romans. And, and so did Alexander. And I think that those, so to me, it's interesting to look at, if you're going to look at it from the inside, from the point of view of the people in the inner circle, they're not going to have many doubts. It, it's for me really kind of impossible to believe that Alexander sat around and thought, I shouldn't be killing all these people. Mm. You know, this is having a bad effect on whatever. I just, I just, I mean, who knows, right? We don't know because nothing that he wrote comes, he directly wrote came down, has come down to us. You know, we don't have a direct account of him him chatting we don't so we, we everything we have is is mediated through other people looking at him and and so that's partly one of the things i wanted to do with sun but also i wanted to show that people's expectations are just this is what we're going to do and of course we can do it but then that there are repercussions that we as people looking at it have to think about what it means because it's it's not without it's not well, I mean, to say the least, it's not without harm. 
Right. These, these wars, you know, so many people die, the combatants die, but other people die. People's, I it just, so to me, I, I think I, I wanted well, to show that. Yeah. I, I liked how you showed that at least for our hero, something that makes them heroic is that the dead actually matter rather than the people that just seem to be the, yeah, your shock troops. I think that was the biggest black and white image. If they will have the, you know, light and shadow, if you will, of the, the people in the light say, give me the names of the dead. Let me tell you how they died because they mattered as opposed to on the other side, it was like, yeah, okay, these are shock troops and we're going to throw them out and they're extra and they're extra for their people and they're extra for this and that. And without going too deeply, it's just, it, it is very clear that that is a different, an advantage that we give him to keep Sun heroic. Yeah. Life. And that's, of course, that's taken directly from the history. Yeah. Alexander, and, and, and I'm a little unfair in this situation, although I try to show that Sun doesn't treat, um, seen dead as disposable people because, because Alexander did in fact, you know, give burials to the fiend combatants and did, I mean, the Persian combatants and, and did, you know, treat them as honorable combatants, um, in many ways. But, but there's constantly an Aryan who's, who's the source who I use most closely. Um, not because I necessarily think he's the best, but because I like, I like his approach. But it, Alexander's constantly stopping every battle. You can't, unless there was some emergency, you stop and you have, you, you, you have a funeral. You honor the people who died. It's just part of the culture. You would, they would never. And, and, and I got to say here, this is my editorial thing. I cannot stand the, the to this to me, the, the way that I see films in the U.S. treat dead people as disposable. To me, it is like such a piece of the capitalistic system. This physical body is useful, has value to me as long as I can exploit it or it gives me something. And as soon as it doesn't give me any value anymore, it's discardable. And I see that all the time in films and stories where death is just, it's like, oh, well, they're dead now. Oh, oh, a thousand people just died. Oh, well, let's move on. Right. Oh, the, you know, I just, I, it drives me nuts. You brought me to an interesting question, which is, Again, this is another of those parallels. And if you have in this world races that have genetically modified themselves to have extra arms, and by the way, I want so arms for so badly now, four arms, it would be awesome. You just want to be forewarned. Yeah. Oh, but you have. Is simply- that allowed? <laughs> yes, because forewarned is forearmed. But anyway, anyway. driving on. <laughs> you have. I'm you just know, shaking my head here. You can't see me. But, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you have symbiosis that has been, you know, put into your system. You have neural implants with physical. Uh, you have all of these really cool ways that they've gotten them. They've gotten female and female reproduction. So some kind of magic double egg parthenogenesis. So mm-hmm. all of this has been going on. Can you tell me why cloning is too far? Because it still doesn't make sense yet. Um, or is that a is that going to be a secret? Because it's in the first book. They're it, like it says, clones, but there is there's a mention I think in the first book in passing, and a mention in the second book 
in passing, I, I think there's a couple mentions and I think, but I never go into it, but I, but I will, it, I will mention it a little more. Um, okay. That, I, did, I was just dying to know what uh, but I can tell you. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's just, why does anything become, you taboo. know, cultures have different things. Yeah. Why do anything? But in this case, on the, th- this will be an plot point in book three for reasons that I don't wow. want to tell okay. you. So, okay. But, I was yeah. Spoiler. It's not a major plot point, but it is a plot point. Well, spoiler, uh, spoiler. Yeah. But this isn't a spoiler. It is true that in the Argosy fleet, which was the fleet that, um, found landfall and the fleet of, of Titans that eventually spread out to completely, you know, to, inhabit the local belt, right? It, right? There there were clones on the ships. And then there was some kind of, you know, only not well known how exactly it played out, but a very bad, um, violent situation that happened on the ships that maybe made things almost collapse. So there's this idea that, um, and nobody really says this, 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 aversion to clones comes from that. And maybe this idea that clones are unstable or clones are what people use who want to keep hold of power, you know, and it's so it has all these complicated issues that people don't really think about that much, because that's just what you know, from very early, that's just what you're taught. And there is there is a reference in Furious Heaven to a show where the the one daughter there's the the daughter of the head because of course they have the whole class system on these on these tow chains in ancient days where if you were in the ship at the back you might never you might be on that ship your whole life right with this tiny ship with 300 people and you would never get a chance to go up to the big mothership you know if you were bad or they could put people back there and whatever it's a form of control and punishment but there's a reference to the show where the, there's a daughter of, you know, the head of the mothership and, and then, and in the show, there's a janitor's daughter on the ship at the very back and they look exactly the same. Right. And of course, I don't, it, this is part of my problem is I don't always explain things. That's not a problem in any way. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for some people, for some readers, it is because to be a Kaonian watching that show is going to know. <gasps> Oh, that girl in the back, the janitor's daughter, one of them, they're clones, right? And this is bad. Something bad is going to happen because of this, right? So, but I don't, the book is already so long. Um, And there's a lot about clones in the book because of Persephone. Yeah. And it's not your job to explain all the magic because that's a piece of the magic. That's the society showing through. I'm going to slightly switch topics on you because... One of the things that I have to ask you, do you get, I can only say, criticized, troubled by people accusing you of being woke? Because oh. you you are the, one of the people who did a wonderful job in waking me with your, uh, you opened me up to the omnipresence of the male gaze. And looking at your books, you've always written books that include a wider viewpoint. And now that's under attack, frankly. So are you being attacked? What, what What's going on with wokeness and you? So I, I don't, you know, I don't really have a big enough profile that it impacts me much directly. You know, most 
most of the people who go on and on about wokeness, they're they're focused on big names who appear well. So they've never heard of me. They don't know who I am. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nobody to them. And then there is a kind of a flip side of that, um, which, which is funny to me, where I've seen a couple of people who, who are pro diversity in whatever, and they, I've seen a couple comments that make it seem like these, and I'm guessing they're younger readers and reviewers think that somehow I am following the trend. And you know, I just kind of smile when I read that. I was like, sorry, I am not following the trend. <laughs> no, I didn't like say, oh, I need to have people speak Mandarin so that it will seem like a more diverse society because diversity is important in books right now. You know, I, I, I just, you know, I'm sorry. Trend this... Access to your time machine, because I, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I, your early works having these elements. Exactly. So... Yeah, I've always done this. I haven't always done it well. I'm better at doing it now about uh, like the Russian names in the Jaron books are horrific. Uh, uh, I, I'm embarrassed now I'm embarrassed, but I don't see any reason to go back and change those things because I think those are part of part of the growth process and that you can see how people, you know, so it was nice that I put that in, but I didn't do it well. I could easily have gotten someone to vet that. It just didn't occur to me at the time. Well, and you're, I, I got to say as one of your audience, your audience mostly didn't care about that aspect of it then you opened you you were one of the writers who was opening up a wider world the the american science fiction community really benefited from that opening but you know it i don't remember any critique of your book saying oh yeah she got all the russian names wrong back then so it's not just you that's grown i think i think that i mean things are just i I'm actually pretty in love with how great the field is right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Going on so much interesting stuff. So I just, it's amazing. I want to come back though, to finish answering that woke question. So I I actually noticed something that really made me laugh. Um, The, it must've been tour on Twitter. They did something about, you know, gender bent alexander the great and then they did the i think it was like a goodreads go giveaway or something right and it was unconquerable sun that cover with the, the u.s cover with sun's face in this close-up whatever and yes. some ran, random twitter person unknown was like oh i don't read this woke stuff right and i just it made <laughs> me laugh because i thought i thought he's saying woke because it has a woman with Asian features on the cover. This is a book about a military campaign yeah. that has that 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 has nothing about peace or justice in it, you know, and that has a ton of battles which are never considered woke, except for maybe World War II, right? The, as, as some people say, and people argue about this, but the, the one just war, right? Um, it, although even that has all this, because, you know, then you get into, did we have to drop the bomb? And I mean, you know, so everything is complicated. Yeah. Um, and, and so it just makes me laugh. So because what he's saying is, what this, what this random person is saying is, is that exactly what you said. If it doesn't have, if it's not centering a white man, then it's woke. Yeah. Well, 
you know, as without even considering what the subject matter is. And, uh, so I don't know. It's I those people weren't reading me anyway. So it doesn't have any effect on me in that sense. And um, I just I just I, I got to say, if I have learned one thing is when people fall into this rigid sense, I mean, when we look at the most rigid these people who were like, you know, I'm raising the the Matt Walsh's and Ben Shapiro's. It's all these people that people are that they're they're not producing interesting art. All they can do is pay money to bloviate, right? About how angry they are about I don't know women. Women wear pants now. You know, they, they should do? put dresses. Yeah, yeah you let that happen. Uh, oh my it, god. It's, yeah, but whatever. What's I mean, next? I don't, men in skirts from the ancient Greece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, Roman men wearing reds and pinks because that was considered the manly color. Uh, God, it, that's all the way to the 1910s, for God's sake. Uh, anyway, I, I know, I know. So, but, but you know what? I think a lot of these people can't make good art because they're so there's something so flattened in their poor brains. Now they can harass people, well, and they control people, and they can make their life miserable and terrible. Fortunately, I have not had that happen. I have something I, I can wish on them then. Are you ready for this one? Brace yourself. It's hilarious. Okay. Somebody should quite simply make a, a simple magazine online written all by chat GPT for chat GPT, like a small space story with a white boy going into space with his dog. And they will read it and they will be happy and it will cost nobody anything. And we can just then put them in their little closet and gently close the door. Yeah. And, and, they, then they'll uh, and, and yeah, I'm not even going to say any names. <laughs> um, I do they'll, write, they'll, write, they'll write books for their kids that are just even that are that are not as creative as the Berenstein Bears, which trust me, I didn't anyway. And, yeah. and then they'll try to ban anything interesting. Um, I do want to say it's it overjoys me to hear that your books are coming back as audiobooks. That's wonderful. Thank you for letting us know that. Yeah. What's your next book coming? When, when do we get it? Because I now have needs. There's needs. There's needs. Well, I can't, there is something coming, although not, uh, I think January, probably January 2025, it's done. But I can't say any more than that, because I haven't physically signed the contract yet. But there is something coming, and it might be a duology that is already completed, not something I'm writing, but already completed. And it might be something that's going to come out close together like within like six months of each other because it's already completed well if if you need somebody to do that check for typos in the electronic format i want you to know i'm always here for you oh thank you it's actually um I, not not for that project because that's that that's being done by a, a, a traditional don't ruin it for her she has hopes no 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 but i have something i actually hope to i need to get cracking on this because i have to finish two stories um but next year, I was really hoping that this thing that I can't talk about, which is completed and is a duology, um, I was hoping it could come out in 2024 because I hate having a year go by with a whole year go by without a publication. It's just not it's not good in this kind of visibility marketplace. But I'm hoping to bring out a Cold Magic collection, which would be all the short stories written Ooh. for the Cold Magic world. And then probably, I'd probably put the essays in too. Um, and that would 
I have a very, very small publisher interested in bringing that out. I don't want to self-publish it. I'm not good well, at that. So that would come out in 2024. Well, so, so we can pre-order it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're a long way from me having anything to pre-order. I have to, there's, most of the stories are done, but there's two I, I want to finish. And that's why I'm putting my bid in now so I can get the news when it's ready to go and have my money on the couch. Oh, everybody my will money. get the news. Everybody will get the news. I mean, I have a, I have a newsletter, so. You um, do. Well, and, I would and, yeah. Send me your newsletter links and all of the other links, which are for the fascinating things we've discussed, which we will put on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Kate, thank you. I love talking to you so much that I could do it all night, but I only yeah, get you guys late time. there. <laughs> right. But thank you for joining us. And again, everybody needs to run out and read The Unconquerable Sun and Furious Heaven if you haven't yet, and so that we can pre-order your next one when it's ready. Thank you so and, much. And go on Twitter and give Finn the likes he deserves. Absolutely. <laughs> You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup book, Wide Spiders, are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking with Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Lingberg. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Steen, The Bean Scene, Arm Street, and whatever coffee shop you like to hang out in. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>